Send a photo for this much fat boy magazine. <laughs> you sitting over here? Yeah, you got something to say about it? No, but I think I just heard the stool start to complain. <laughs> hey, Shirley, you coming to Betty's party? Yeah, I think so. You want me to get you a lift? All right. Good. There'll be a tow truck in front of your house in seven. <laughs> now, uh, you fellas feel like something to eat? I have a fresh pie in the kitchen. I'll just have a little piece. Good, I'll just have the rest of it. Boy, you know, it just didn't seem the same without rerun. It must have been nice to go to a movie and not have everybody think your friend is the screen. <laughs> the catchphrase? Well, it depends on who you talk to in the series. <laughs> I mean, if, if Fred Berry could speak, he probably would say it was, shut up, Duane. <laughs> but, you know, of course, I think Hey, Hey, Hey is like the, the hit on it because it, for me, and people think Hey, Hey, Hey is something that is what's happening, and it isn't. First of all, it's Bill Cosby and the Cosby Show and, and Fat Albert. I grew up on that. I was giving homage to him. But at the same time, it started on Grady. Because on Grady, uh, the actual name of my character was Haywood. So they liked my energy, and I remember Bud and, and, and Saul Turtletop came and pulled me aside and said, Give me more, give me more, do something, do something, do something with your name. So I, when I would tell a really corny joke, really bad joke, and no one in, in the scene is laughing but me, and my character is losing it because he thinks it's so funny, I would end it with, Hey, hey, Haywood. <laughs> with this little squeak thing going on and they would just look at me like, please. And that's where it came from. So by the time I got to what's happening, you know, the girls were screaming. Every time I come in the room, the girls would scream. I like that. You know, I mean, I just got my driver's license. I'm 16. You kidding me? I want more screams. So I said, I'm going to do something. And they used to have it where I would knock on the door. And then they go, that's Dwayne. And then I'd come in and I'd go, hey, what's happening, Raj? And I said, well, you know what? Uh-uh. I'm going to do what I did, but I'm going to punch it up. And I changed the inflection on the hey, hey, hey's. So it's not Fat Albert. It ain't hey, hey, hey. It was hey, hey, hey. And I just dropped it. And the crowd went wild. And it was after that that every week they came to me and said, do it. Do that again. Every time you come in, you do that. I said, okay. So... I think that's the catchphrase for the show, really. Genesis of a catchphrase. And, you know. <laughs>
Now it can be told. You see, right. And has anyone ever asked you about that before? I've never been asked that question. There you go. If anything, they just ask me to say it. They don't ask, what's its origination? Hi, hi, hi. When I was a little girl, I had a crush on you. Really? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Whenever you'd come over to see Raj, I'd put on my favorite dress. You mean that blue one with the pink flowers? You noticed. How could I help it? I was over here almost every day. <laughs> you know, I always wondered how you kept it looking so new. I had three of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to get going, okay? Good night. Dwayne? Yeah. I really had a nice time tonight. Me too, Dee. You know, th these past two nights, they haven't been exactly like I thought they'd be. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I've always thought of you as, you know... Roger's little sister? Yeah. But now, I mean, you're so... Grown up? Yeah. Okay, good night. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Welcome. What's happening, man? Hey, hey, hey. All right. By the way, you probably didn't hear that at the end. Somebody in the audience, that was that last clip was from right. what's happening now, where Dwayne and Dee were sort of making out after some kind of date, and some woman in the audience screams at the end. Oh, wow. Go get it, girl. Wow, that's crazy. So, I didn't uh, even remember that. I mean, <laughs> I remember watching what's happening now. Obviously, we're not going to be talking that much about that, but I don't remember that at all. That's crazy. That's that's crazy. I didn't either. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's happening? Welcome. Yeah. T episode 12. What's happening? Uh, as you may have guessed, this is the Cultural Futures Exchange, CFX for short. This is where we uh, look at various elements of cultural ephemera, uh, TV in this case, but also music and movies and other things. Dive into the context and time that they came out, what's happened since our take on their future valuation in terms of like a fake uh, futures exchange stock market kind of thing. Should you go long, the value will go up. Should you go short, the value will decrease or stay neutral. And you'll kind of get the idea as we go. This is uh, episode 12, as I mentioned. What's happening is the topic and hey, 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 <laughs> is that <laughs> there, there's a whole like theory behind that uh, catchphrase. Apparently we heard from a, uh, Haywood Nelson, uh, Dwayne on the show. So what do you have well, to say? Well, I have to for... say this is probably one of the weirdest episodes we'll do because, you know, a lot of what we've done, I think, is pretty kind of stuff a lot of people know about. And there's probably tons of podcasts out there on Kiss Alive and Nirvana and, you know, the Beach Boys and all this stuff. And maybe and even Three's Company, I found a podcast. I don't know how much stuff is out there about what's happening. It seems like uh, you know, people remember it and people know about it, but it it's a surprisingly, I think, you know, big part of, I think, both of our childhoods in a weird way. And it was an important show for me in a lot Definitely. of ways, which I'll talk about. But I think this is kind of a cool episode because I know that, you know, people I know and my friends and family are probably going to be surprised to see this one, but they'll be like pleasantly surprised because, again, you know, me and my sister watch this constantly. You know, especially when it was in syndication, you know, very similar to Three's Company. It has a lot in common with Three's a Company in a lot of ways, too. But it's different in some ways, too. Um, 
you know, just the impact it had was different. So I think it's a really cool one to do, um, even though whether it holds up or not, well, that's what we're here to decide. So that's what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we're here for. And the, the, the funny thing is, is when we were looking for clips and I was doing research and stuff, a lot of the comments I would just read sort of in, in uh, process there, people just had a lot of fond memories of this show. Oh, I remember this or, oh, I loved right. this show when I was a kid or... So there's a lot of nostalgia. Maybe it's, you know, our generation, maybe it's, you know, the generations before and and after, but um, a lot of people seem to remember the show, even though to your point, it's not like as celebrated culturally, maybe in the, in the, at this time, at least, but we'll talk about if that will change going forward. So this show was out um, and broadcast in the late seventies. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the setting the stage here of the show and other shows right so obviously the, the zeitgeist here is 70s television right so this this show is kind yeah. of a you know one of those shows that's part of the um i guess you would say uh what's the word i'm looking for um the lineage of norman lear kind of television even though norman lear himself yeah. didn't uh didn't create the show it was of that time so you had like all in the family you had mod you had and then, of course, you had the African-American sitcoms that were created by Norman Lear. Uh, you had Sanford and Son, The Jeffersons and Good Times. And, um, you know, I watched all these shows as a kid. Um, but that's what this was born of. And then what I think makes what's happening unique among these shows is it's really centered on the kids. Right. So so I think this is yeah. why it might have had more of an impact on me. I mean, I remember the classic good, you know, I remember uh, Dino Mike, you know, and obviously, hey, hey, hey. It's yeah. kind of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of shows had catch. I should I should also mention part of the zeitgeist is this catchphrase thing, right? So the the kind of three camera sitcom with these catchphrases like "Hey, hey, hey," and of course, you know, uh, "Welcome Back, Cotter" had like "Hi there," and you know, "Mr. Cotter, Mr. Cotter." There was all these catchphrases, and yeah, yeah, ooh, 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 ooh. yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly, and and. You know, but there were also, you know, because it's Norman Lear in this case, you, you have some sh- episodes that are actually serious that deal with racial issues and stuff. I remember Good Times, one episode I remember that's just emblazoned on my mind. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that Janet Jackson was part of the Jacksons and she had became such a massive, you know, star in her own right. But I remember the episode where she was like, you know, part of, you know, she was experiencing child abuse, her character Penny. Right. And then she was yep. taken in by Malona and good times. I, I just those things are emblazoned on my mind. Or I remember I might be remembering this wrong, but I think there was a Jefferson's. It might have been Jefferson's or good times where there was a um, a white man in the hospital with uh, George Jefferson who needed a blood transfusion. He was a racist. And and so they give him his blood and he says, you should have let me die. I mean, that's like so hardcore. Right. So these shows were funny. You know, they had the goofy characters and the catchphrases. And obviously, you know, Sherman Helmsley was kind of, uh, you know, he he did some kind of um, physical comedy and was goofy. But there was all the seriousness, too. You know, the Jeffersons came from All in the Family, where George Jefferson was, you know, represented the the move of black people into Queens and and, you know, the kind of white flight. Uh, that ex- that was experienced, and you know, he confronted and and just went head to head with you know the biggest racist of them all, Archie Bunker. So you had all this stuff going on, and what's happening has a lot of this too. I'm going to talk about that in my evaluation. There are shows that are serious in what's happening, but it also was much lighter, you know. So I think in a way it was more accessible, you know, to and 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 the fact that it was kids that we could relate to, you know, um, 
I definitely think there's a lot of D in my sister, for instance, you know, like my sister's really funny and really sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. And, and she was like my younger sister, always wanting to hang out with my friends and stuff. And she actually did go to prom with one of my friends. So that, that early clip of D on what's happening now, dating Dwayne, that's like kind of creepy to me. It's weird because I had a sister who kind of tagged along too. And I had to deal with, and you know, she was really sharp and sarcastic, like, you know, D and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Did you like peanut butter oh, yeah. as much as well, D? Who doesn't like peanut butter? Peanut butter is like almond butter is fucking <laughs> bullshit. Like peanut butter is the best thing ever. Uh, it's all this fucking paleo <laughs> shit with almond butter. It's like, who, you know, almond butter can suck it. It's okay. But peanut butter is the fucking bomb. Yeah. Of course, we all like peanut butter. Um, so, of course, uh, I'm going to go into the background of the show. So the show started out kind of based on this film called Cooley High. And I actually saw this movie um, because my my ex-brother-in-law, my sister's ex-husband, grew up loving this movie, Cooley High, and it's kind of a coming-of-age story like American Graffiti um, that was written by this guy, Eric Monty. It's all African-American cast. Um, you know, one of the one of the people in it was Garrett Morris, you know, would later be on Saturday Night Live. And then, of course, uh, another show that we'll probably confront at some point, uh, you know, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, who played Washington on Welcome Back, Cotter. That's another catchphrase. Hi there. You know, remember, he used to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mr. Cotter. And it's it's kind of a it's kind of it's a really good movie. You know, it's actually much better, I think, as a movie than what's happening is as a show overall. The, we'll talk about what's happening as some great episodes. Um, one in particular that I think everyone is waiting for us to talk about, which is the Doobie Brothers, which we'll go, definitely go into. Um, so. Um, you know, and, and Monty was a, a writer at the time. He had he had co-created Good Times in the Jeffersons with, um, uh, you know, Norman Lear. Uh, and the original plan was for him to sort of write the show. Now, he eventually did work much more on what's happening now, which is interesting because what's happening now, it, we're, we're not going to talk that much about it, but it isn't that different from what's happening. It's similarly lightweight, but he was a more serious writer. I mean, like, you know, Cooley High is pretty dark. You know, the character, one of the characters dies, and it's you know, it's a it, it's kind of a drama with some comedy in in there. Um, you know, and of course the lead character, I forget the character's name and and the actor's name, but it, you know, he's a writer, just like Raj, right? So, um, yeah. So uh, so maybe it was somewhat autobiographical, you know, for that guy. So so the, so basically, the original plan was for him to write it, but it was created by this Toy Productions. Uh, you know. Again, Norman Lear, this Jew, white Jewish, uh, you know, people creating African-American shows. But you have Turtle Taub, Orenstein, and Yorkin. They were kind of the uh, DGC of their day. Italians. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, Bud Yorkin yeah. had worked with, um, he was partners with Norman Lear, and he broke off with them and created this, uh, co-created this toy productions. And, you know, he was involved in some of the seminal TV shows, All in the Family and Good Times, as we mentioned. Um, and he created this show, What's Happening. And it was much more kind of lightweight than what was originally intended. But um, it was a mid-season replacement, just like Three's Company, which we talked about before. It was one of these shows that was kind of thrown in in the summer, you know, just as a, as a filler. But it was a hit. So they decided to, you know, uh, produce it for the next fall season. So there were two, uh, you know, there were ended up being three years, uh, three seasons of the show. Now, it wasn't super popular. Like, Three's Company was the most popular show of its day of, as a sitcom. But it got good enough ratings. And later, it would actually do much better in syndication in, in a lot of areas than it actually did during its initial run. And that's where you and I probably watched it the most. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I saw the tail end of the show live, like Little Earl and Big Earl and all that in season three. I remember watching those shows at night. Um, but 
I watched it more in the early 80s, like in, in syndication after school, because that's when it was shown. Um, it was kind of like, uh, you know, right. channels would kind of transition from cartoons into or, or soap operas into like an afternoon slot of sitcoms. And that's when the Brady Bunch was shown in syndication. That's when Three's Company and, of course, what's happening. So, um, you know, obviously uh, and, and the show, it, it's similar to uh, Cooley High and then it's about uh, three black teenagers and Watts. Um, and that's basically the conceit of the show. So why don't you go into, uh, you know, the main characters here? And we talk about, you know, what the show consisted of. Yeah, I mean, most people listening to this episode probably at least vaguely remember the show and some of the characters. But um, the main uh, protagonist of the show was uh, Roger Thomas, Raj, to his friends and and family. And he was a high school teenager who had a younger sister, Dee. uh, And and we'll talk about her in a second. But Raj was played by Ernest Thomas, um, actor. He was about 25 at the time they made this, and he was playing 16. Very common. Uh, years old. And <laughs> yeah, could, thing to do. Very common, and he could get away with it. He he was youthful looking. He was skinny, uh, kind of a tall, skinny uh, guy with, with black horn-rimmed glasses. As you mentioned before, he ambitioned to be a, a writer of various sorts. Um, and, you know, he sometimes wanted to be a novelist, other times a TV writer, which we'll, we'll talk about some episodes uh, related to that. Um, and he had a very distinctive and very amusing laugh, which I played at the beginning of the show, that kind of high-pitched bird-sounding uh, laugh, which um, as I was you know, preparing for the show, I was playing that clip a, a lot for, my, for uh, my wife, and she thinks it's funny, too. We were both yeah. trying to imitate it, and neither of us could get that high uh, to, to imitate it. So um, very funny, though. And you know, he was the main, the, the, a lot of plots revolved around Raj as the, as the main character, He's also an impressive dancer, <laughs> if you remember. He had this like move where he'd do like the the thinker yeah, where he'd put his yeah. uh, you know uh, hand his fist under his uh, chin and kind of do like a little bit of a robot thing. And arguably a uh, a uh, you know better dancer in some regards than than a rerun, which I'll get into. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to dispute that, that for but, sure. But go on, <laughs> go on. yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, well, maybe at least more creative in a sense. Uh, he also would do this thing when you try to impress people, whether it was uh, young ladies or, or other adults. Um, he would uh, put on a really super deep voice to try to um, I- impress people. So that is uh, Raj. So we also have another character, uh, D, right? His younger sister played by Danielle Spencer. Um, she was his younger sister. She was kind of sassy. She was always trying to, you know, extort money out of Raj for not, for, by blackmailing him, not to tell, uh, you know, their mother about things that he was up to. Um, a lot of, Ooh, I'm telling mama that kind of stuff was happening. That was maybe one of her catchphrases. Um, she was the youngest member of, of the cast, obviously, um, at that point we had, uh, Dwayne, the Hey, Hey, Hey guy we heard from at the beginning. His character's name was uh, Dwayne Nelson. He's played by Haywood Nelson. He was actually a teenager. He was playing his age. I think he was 16, as he said um, in the opening clip, um, and was one of uh, Raj's best friends. And then the other uh, kid on the show, played by an adult as well, was uh, uh, Rerun. So Frederick Rerun Stubbs, uh, played by Fred Berry, um, a, a rotund guy who uh, would always wear suspenders and 
and was yeah, an actual he was with the, of, there's of a, there's a, you know an episode we'll definitely touch on called My Three Tons, which is the one where he auditions for this fictional dance troupe called the the Rockets. They were actually a real dance troupe called the Lockers, and he was one of their main guys in real life. So um, and they did this kind of proto breaking style dancing, um, you know, very influential yeah. on what break dancing would become in the eighties. Um, and yeah, he was one of their featured dancers, so he was a real actual dancer. Um, he was, I was yeah. sort of kidding about that before, but he, you know, for, for a big guy, he, that's was the thing that's so impressive. I mean, he though. can really yeah. move and, and yeah. yeah, it's, it's a kind of repetitive style of dancing with a lot of hand movements, but he also does these jumps Kinda. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, he does quasi splits and things and his, yeah, his, his ability to kick up in the air. I mean, I'm pretty, you know, I've gotten more flexible, you know, as I've been more fit. I couldn't do those kicks and I couldn't kick that high. It's, yeah, it's pretty, either. pretty crazy. His, uh, energy. Yeah. He, for, again, yeah, for, for definitely. a fat dude, he can move really, really well. Um, the mother was played by, uh, the character Mabel uh, Thomas was played by actress Mabel King, who was a longtime Broadway actress. And, uh, you know, she was in the earlier seasons and then left the show basically in the middle. And we'll, we'll get into talking about, uh, why, um, you know, the, uh, her decision to do that and how it was handled in the show, but she was a Broadway actress. And in fact, um, was played in the whiz on Broadway for a long time. And, uh, Ernest Thomas, who played her son, eventually saw her multiple times before he even knew her and worked with her and was always talking about how good she was in that. And as a singer and an actress and, and all that, and apparently, um, quite an impressive singer. Um, and then lastly, the other main character was uh, Shirley Wilson, played by uh, So I want to bring up Hemphill. something here. I have it in the Ooh. notes later, but yeah. this is a weird phenomenon where, you know, I'm not sure how often this happens, but at least there's three of them where these kind of larger black women actresses actually play characters with their same names. Like, what's that? Like, Mabel King yeah. is Mabel Thomas. Shirley Hempel is Shirley Wilson. And of course, if you remember the show, Give Me a Break. You know, Nell Carter plays plays a character too named Nell. So it's like, what's up with that? I don't know. Maybe they're just these forces of nature that are just like, I gotta have my own name, or you know, maybe they. It's just interesting how that how that carved up. You know, it's only three examples, and two of them on the same show. So maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a coincidence. But it just always seemed kind of interesting to me. Um, it all, you know, maybe they're they just they just said this person is just a Mabel. You know, we just have to give her her same name, you know, or Shirley, same, same deal. Well, you know, what's interesting, and this is maybe unrelated to this, but on I Love Lucy, um, the actress, uh, Vivian, Vivian Vance. what was yeah, her yeah. last name? Who played uh, Vivian Vance, who played Ethel. Um, she hated the fact that her name was Ethel on the show because people, I mean, obviously yeah. that was a crazy popular The most show. popular show For of years all time. and years like, afterwards. Like, no doubt. Rating, like, if you scale it Probably. for ratings. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, Lucy, we could talk about Lucy later, but that show... I remember um, seeing that new movie, which is, I couldn't even get through it, being the Ricardos or whatever. But there's some interesting, eh, it's not that true. It's mostly a bunch of, it's like this typical, what's Aaron Sorkin, like backroom politics, a lot of fucking meetings. Uh, you know, I don't watch a movie full of fucking meetings. But, um, you know, the acting's good and everything. Yeah. But, but that, you know, that show, like, you know, now a Nielsen rating or a rating of a show, you know, a Super Bowl might get like some millions of people. Lucy is like times 10. Like shows, sh shows would change yeah. their hours. I mean, I mean, stores would change their hours 
uh, around the show because they knew no one would be out um, because everybody was watching that show. So it's really kind of the most popular show of all time. That's a huge tangent. So anyway, you're saying she didn't like the name Ethel, right? Well, right. So for years after the show, people would come up to her all over the world probably and call her Ethel and she hated that. And so when they did a revamp of the Lucy show, there are several of them and she was on she demanded that her character name be oh, Vivian because she wanted people to call her by her real name. I don't know if that had anything to do with the topic yeah. you brought up, but I just found that um, interesting. Um, anyway, back to Shirley. Shirley was played by uh, Shirley Hemphill, who was a, who was a stand-up comedian, um, you know, in LA, and she was the waitress at Rob's place, the the soda shop that they all uh, frequented, and had a lot of. Um, you know, lines uh, and sort of sassy uh, character. And there's, we have some examples of that. But um, she played out through the whole um, series as as Shirley. Um, the the show was sort of marred by um, various boycotts and walkouts over salary, mostly led by um, Fred Berry. Although at times, Ernest Thomas and I think even once. Yeah, Henry Raj, Raj joined, joined at, him and, then, the and then he line. was like, I think they were all kind of upset at the end, right? When the last one, the, the last time rerun w would claim racism, basically he would say, you know, you're not paying me enough. White actors make more. I'm sure all this was completely true. Um, but, you know, he had this penchant for doing this over and over again, and he did it. Uh, and it ended up in the show being canceled. And there was some bitterness between the, the actors, you know, over that. But then what's happening now? Yeah. Same thing. He did it again. Uh, so, so it's like, it seemed to be like he kind of had this chip on his shoulder there, but you know, I'm sure there was some truth to it, but it also sounds like he was a serial, uh, walkouter. <laughs> I don't know how to say, say it like he yeah. had this issue. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. I mean, I read some stuff where they, where the articles were saying that at the end, um, the rest of the cast had was not on speaking terms with him because they felt he was being ridiculous and was costing them their livelihoods. Obviously, on a fairly popular show, not like crazy popular, it became more popular in syndication. But anyway, um, Shirley went on after uh, What's Happening was canceled to have her own sitcom, Briefly Lived, uh, I, which called I, One in a Million, which you can find, you can find on it? YouTube. Oh, wow. I'm sure it's yeah, not it's on good. YouTube. It lasted like six months. I do not remember this at all. Do you? Yeah, I don't remember Maybe seeing either. this at all, so it really didn't no. make an impact. And it wasn't on long enough to be syndicated, but I'll have to go check that out. Uh, it's kind of crazy, I'm sure. But that's, yeah. you know, that's good that she got her own yep. show, but it obviously wasn't very good. So it didn't last. Yeah, it didn't last. Maybe that character wasn't yeah. going to carry the day. Um, anyway, uh, what's happening went off the air and became hugely popular in syndication, enough so that... Um, Ernest Thomas convinced um, the powers that be in various television production situations to uh, revamp the show called What's Happening Now. Uh, we heard a clip from that at the beginning um, where Dee and Dwayne maybe were sharing some romantic moments there. And the show was, you know, it had a lot of fans all throughout, um, you know, famous, uh, you know, people, kingdoms and whatnot. And one of the uh, big supporters of the show and big fans of the show was Muhammad Ali, who became a personal friend of Ernest Thomas. And he thought it was just a, a, a wonderful show and was inspirational and, and played a role in getting um, it back on the air as what's happening now. And 
you know, one of the stars of the show, Danielle Spencer. We yeah, talk a I mean, bit about her D. Yeah, I th- yeah, go ahead. I'm a huge fan of Danielle Spencer. I think she might be the funniest person on the show. Like, she's definitely, yeah, she's you definitely right. got amazing yeah. uh, t- comic timing uh, for a kid. She was actually uh, later inducted into the uh, the Smithsonian Museum of African American History. Um, I went to the last time I went to the Smithsonian, this was still being built. So I haven't been there. I definitely want to check it out next time I go. But she was the youngest uh, female child, African-American female child of a sitcom ever. So this is a pretty talented kid. You know, she her a lot of she gets some of the best lines in her timing. I think all I mean, we'll talk about this in our evaluation, but I think all of these actors are really talented. They're you know, they're all funny. Um, they all have really good comic timing. Stuff, but so she had a, had a crazy thing happen. So the second season of the show, she she was driving with her, you know, riding with her father in a car. They had a really bad car accident. Stepfather. OK, stepfather, so she was riding with her stepfather yeah. and they yeah. had a really bad car accident. And it resulted in her being in a coma for three weeks. And she had. Um, and her stepfather oh, wow, I didn't know that. that so, accident. yeah. And yeah. so she yeah. had this terrible accident as a kid. She took months to recover. Um, and then, you know. Uh, during what's happening now, she was actually going to school. You know, she was she was like a guest star on that. She wasn't a regular cast member because she was already kind of going off into her own future endeavors apart from acting, which included studying veterinary medicine at UC Davis, which is like the best veterinary medicine school in the country or something. You know, it's like this huge, great school. So she's obviously really yeah. smart, too. Um, but that accident kind of stayed with her. And she was diagnosed with spinal stenosis as a result of that accident. And she had surgery that and ended up being partially paralyzed for eight months after that. Um, and then to boot, she found she had breast cancer in 2014. And then she had Jeez. this hematoma that had been in her, her head, this bleeding hematoma that was there from the accident. So this terrible accident she happened with a kid just had, had kept, you know, not only that, she had breast cancer, but then she had this brain surgery for a hematoma. So it's crazy what this woman went through, you know, this poor woman, but she's still around and she's still being a, a vet, which is really admirable and cool. So, um, you know, I just thought that was, you know, we were researching this, trying to find stuff and we both ran into this, these stories and it's really kind of in, intense. Um, she's uh, on, t- I think she lives in Virginia and Richmond, uh, Virginia area. And she's on TV a lot there. Local, local TV as like yeah the, TV that, like local you know, news vet you know for, kind of consultant that's cool though that's yeah. really cool yeah but hopefully Danielle yeah. if you're out there and you're listening yeah. to this uh, hopefully you many years of of uh, health uh, after all of your your struggles here and uh, good luck to you on that so anyway um, let's talk about our personal history so why don't you continue on um, with that and how you yeah I mean I don't show. completely remember when I first started watching it I think it was when I was really young and I might have seen it from the first it might not have been the first season because I was like seven years old you know I don't know if I would have watched it then I don't n- remember what time of night it was on but definitely by the third season uh, when I was like 10 years old I definitely um, uh, saw it you know, uh, uh, on, on TV, but I mostly remember watching it in syndication after school. Um, that was when me and my sister really watched yep. it. We both loved the show. Um, I've seen many of these episodes many, many times as a kid. Um, and when I look back on it, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to do this was because, you know, it's very similar to, it has a very similar place for me with three's company, but it's got an additional thing that three's company didn't have. And that's that, you know, a lot of the stuff, my first introduction to black culture, I mean, my parents really liked a lot of, you know, 
R&B and jazz and stuff like that. And so musically, I was into things like Earth, Wind & Fire. I mean, I was probably, Earth, Wind & Fire was probably my favorite group when I was really young, before I started getting into hard rock, you know, but, uh, you know, I love disco and Earth, Wind & Fire and stuff, as I've said on previous episodes. And, and, you know, my parents had like Teddy Pendergrass records and the Blue Notes and, you know, Sly and the Family Stone. And so this was around my house. But as far as like um, black culture, I mean, really what's happening was the first, my first exposure. And looking back, I realized that a lot of these episodes influenced me in, a, I think, a mostly positive way, you know? Um, and, and I think one of the yeah. things that Ernest Thomas brings up about the show, you know, and it's kind of place in history is that it was relatable to people and it introduced people to black people, uh, you know, a lot of white people to black people and culture you know, even, you know, maybe in a superficial way, but it still was, was a positive way. And I think a way that was accessible and open to people. And the other thing is the fact that they were kids made this different. You know, the fact that they were kids meant that like kids like me and my sister could relate to these kids in their situations. And yeah, there's, we'll talk about the kind of humor that the show has that, you know, may, may or may not stand the test of time. But at the time it was really, I think a positive uh, intro. And of course, you know, the episode that stands above all the others, in my opinion, and the one that I think will uh, stand the test of time is uh, is the Doobie Brothers episode. And we're going to talk about that more during your evaluation. Um, but of course, I have a lot to say on that, too, because it's the one that I remembered the most. Right. It's I think it's the one that most people remember the most. It's a two part episode and it's it's amazing. And we watched it again. And I think it's a. Uh, you know, uh, my general opinion of the show is different, I think, than that. I, I don't think there's any doubt that that holds up. It's incredible. But that's the one I really remember. But then I looked back and I remembered a few others. And I'll go into more detail on that um, in the episode because I remembered some of the more serious ones. And I, looking back, I don't think I really, when we first suggested this, I thought, oh, yeah, this is a cool show to do because I remember watching it so much. But I didn't realize until I looked back at it that, you know, hey, this influenced a lot of the way I see the world, you know. Um, and I think that's yeah. kind of an important thing, you know, even though something so lightweight in a way, um, you know, not always lightweight. There's some serious episodes, like I mentioned, I'll go into those. But something so kind of mellow and lightweight and funny and charming could have such a powerful impact in a way informing some of my worldview. You know, that's. That's yeah. That's some of the most yeah. influential things, right? That are a little innocuous, but stick right. with you and you think about and are easy to process. Those are some of the and most maybe taking maybe addressing some of those racial issues. You know, starting with the you know kind of it kind of like it kind of like welcomes you in with its lightweight, generic, you know, fat joke kind of humor and you know uh, or D kind of you know uh, always asking for a quarter from Raj, you know, extorting him. You know, those kind of lightweight things lead into more serious topics. It's kind of an inviting way to experience those. It's not confrontational in a way, even though it deals with issues, you know, seriously. So it's like, I, that's the way I remember, remember it now, you know, and I don't even think I knew that was influencing me at the time. I was just laughing, you know, or I was right. just watching it for, you know, it was just a fun little world with the soda shop and kind of it had its own little universe, kind of like Three's Company with the, those simple sets like the apartment and the Regal Beagle. It's the same thing with Rob's place and with, uh, you know, the Thomas household and then later rerun and, and uh, um, Raj's apartment, you know. So that so that's that's basically right. my history. I don't have any more to say than that uh, yet, but I'll have more to say in my eval. 
Yeah, I mean, my history is really similar. I don't recall ever watching it first run. It might have happened. I was a little bit younger. I absolutely remember watching it in syndication. And in fact, if I recall correctly, it was on every day after school. Oh, wow. On KHJ uh, K- Channel KHJ, 9. Yeah. K- my sister. And- oh, we got to name them all really quick. So there's KHJ was Channel 9, right? KCOP was Channel 13. Yeah. KTTV was 11. What yeah. was um Channel 5? 11. KTLA. KTLA. Yeah. Those were those were like the kind of yeah. syndicated yeah. Uh, non-network channels. The I think local, one of them the became Fox channels later. It might be Channel yeah. 5. I don't remember. But yeah. Oh, it was 11. It okay. was 11. And then one of them like yeah, might have been Fox, like yeah. UPN or something. But by that time, I didn't live in, in LA, in LA area. But yeah. Yeah. Channel yeah. 28 was PBS. That's right. That's, right. That's where you watched uh, Sesame Street. Um, and then you had those crazy UHF ones that were like, you know, the Spanish channel and various Asian channels and stuff. So um, anyway, so Channel 9 watched it every day. My sister and I just that was like one of the shows that we both liked and agreed upon to watch. So we didn't fight over the TV. Uh, we both loved the show. I mean, just unequivocally, we both loved the show. Um, the Doobie Brothers, of course, was the episode. And we'll get into that in some detail here. But I remember other episodes I really liked. I, I liked one, and I'll talk about this, the Daddy Disco Dynamite <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, I uh, watched that contest. one after you brought I, that I up. That I watched one it too. again, too, and that was uh, yeah. really entertaining. Yeah. yeah. It, it was really entertaining. The plot of that was amusing. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the later seasons. I, the Big Earl and Little Earl era was a little... It was kind of at the end of it, and I definitely liked the Well, the Disco Daddy more, one is season three, so that... You know, there, there are definitely some bright spots in the later seasons and there's some weird stuff in the later. It definitely got weird. I think it was it made sense to me, you know, that it was canceled when it was because it got it didn't quite have yeah. the same feel. Yeah. When they moved into the apartment and Big Earl and Little Earl were just they I don't know if they really work, you know. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they did. And and I mean, yeah. there's some cute stuff like the little kid had a crush on D and he was always, you know, this. Eight-year-old was yeah, that, trying that's to, pretty funny. You know, that's come pretty, on kid, you know the D. kid was a decent actor, yeah, yeah. and you know the dad was a decent actor. But it, it yeah, I think dad was yeah, on all he's the like a guy you see all over the place. Yeah, character actor. Yeah, the the um the other thing about it, like weird things on the show in the later seasons that didn't make sense. There was one I was watching a little bit of where. D became was trying out to be a cheerleader. That's not I was like, her. That's not no. really D's character. At all, like that was lame, you know. And and the snake oh yeah, character, snake. The basketball. I forgot player. about snake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was um, that was not the greatest character. Although there, Boss Hog was on, and that, that story arc with Snake as being kind of a, a you know a, a shady under a guy who's trying to pay Snake to right, play right. college basketball, um, you know, and all that. So um, Soro Book, I think is in Brook, whatever his name was. Boss Hog from Dukes of Hazard. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I love the show and I had seen it over the years and re-watching it. Um, and I'll talk about this more in my evaluation. I like cool. it all over again. I mean, there, there's something about the show that is um, just really uh, charming. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit. So all right. let's talk about evaluations. And so I wrote this on the notes. Question, colon, what's happening? Answer, fat jokes. So I was shocked by how many frickin' fat jokes there are in this show. I mean, 
it seems like every concept. I mean, we had a barrage of them at the opening. I I wanted to include more, even, and you you know, it seemed like any episode I would I would do. It, this was definitely more toward the beginning of the show. I think it kind of changed where there wasn't as much. Although you know, you can find even in the disco one, you can you can see there's there's some some of those, and and it's mainly Shirley and and uh, um, rerun going back and forth at each other, but it's also D and you know. You know, the, I mean, the, the the amount of fat jokes is crazy. And what what's interesting is, on the one hand, you have three pretty large actors. You know, you have Mabel Mabel Thomas, you have Shirley, and you have uh, Fred Berry. You know, these three people got parts in a major show. You know, and that's kind of cool. But and, yeah. and, you know, with Mabel, they they didn't really. You know, she was a much more seriously taken character. Um, you know, kind of a mothering. Although they had Raj about when she oh, yeah. hugged him and saying, Mama, breathe. I can't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah. it's funny. It is funny, but I can't breathe. Yeah, yeah but it's like, um, just because yeah. the act, I think the acting really makes it funny and the delivery, the timing makes it funny. But I mean, you know, it's a little cornball and it's, I don't know how well that ages for me. You know, it's like, I, I'm not, you know, I'm kind of on the fence about some of the body positivity stuff going on. I, don't think it's healthy for people to be obese, but I also don't think fat shaming people is cool. And I don't think making fun of fat people is, is a productive thing to do. And I kind of like some of that movement's perspective. And I think diet culture, as much as I'm kind of a health nut and all this, I think it's bad. I don't think it's, I don't think it's healthy for people. Um, so I, I definitely don't think that stuff has aged well for me at all. You know, I just don't like it. I don't think it's, I think it's kind of nasty and I don't think it was necessary, but you know, the writing, the comic timing and stuff. I mean, we laugh at stuff that's forbidden and, you know, I don't think we should ban this kind of stuff, but I just don't think that is the best legacy of the show. Um, I think the show could be funny without that stuff. And I think, um, ironically, um, you know, there's an episode we talked about my three tons we've mentioned, and it's funny. It's, it's a, there's some irony in some of these shows and I'm going to talk about that, you know, that the show is kind of about itself. So obviously the plot of My Three Tons is that Rink, uh, Rerun wants to try out for this dance troupe, the Rockets. He goes and he, he tries out and he's really good. You know, he falls right in line with them. He's doing the same moves and they're all, yeah, you know, and it seems like a good vibe. And him and Raj, you know, they're, they're there to help him audition. There's some kind of funny jokes about being an age, his being his, his agent and they love him. You know, they love Rerun and then Raj and Dwayne and, 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 uh, and rerun go to leave you know they're like oh yeah we'll come back and you know you're hired basically they they decide to take him on but then Dwayne forgets his sports magazine he goes back to get it and he overhears the you know the other agent there's another agent there with the dancer and the guy's like hey we've been you know the guy who heads the dance troupe he's the manager he says you know hey we've been friends for a while I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna lead you on here you can go home because we're gonna hire the, the the chubby kid and um, the guy's like, what, that kid? And he, you know, and he, and, and he makes a, a fat joke, you know, and uh, about about rerun, you know, uh, uh, I forget. I forget what it is, but it was it was just another stupid fat joke about him. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, he uh, uh, Dwayne overhears this and the, and the manager says, yeah, well, we just want him for last. It's like comic relief. You know, we're going to have the dancers make jokes about him. Right. And then Dwayne goes, hey, you know, he, he they, you know, they're going to have a hard time telling rerun that, you know, breaking his heart, that they just want him because you're fat and they just want to make fat jokes. Well, the whole show is making fat jokes all the time. So why is this so bad that these people, you know, they're doing the same thing the show is. 
right? Why it's just ironic as hell that they're, yeah. you know, they're kind of this plot about fat shaming and yet that's what they do every fucking episode. So it's kind of, it doesn't really make sense. You know, stuff like that was kind of a uh, I had some cognitive dissonance as I was enjoying it. I was kind of like going, this is really ironic, you know. Um but yeah. So so I think that's a bad thing of the show and it's really kind of I don't think it holds up um at, at all. But let's talk about some good things. So one of the good things is um you know just in general, the show is funny. The t- comic timing is great. I think especially Danielle Spencer is amazing. There's one episode called um, Burger Queen. And that episode is in the first season. And basically, Rerun wants to go be a star. You know, they're having auditions for this company called Bridge Burger. Um, and um, wait, wait, but you got to no, talk I'm about, totally gonna talk about that. I'm going to talk about that. that. Yeah, so okay, they're having ahead. auditions for Bridge Burger, and it's it's basically being held by there's this ad agency that's run by, of course, Dick Van Patten of uh, Eight Is Enough, and then I don't know the actor's name, Larry Tate, who plays Larry Tate, right? They're basically, Tate, the guy who yeah. plays Larry Tate is actually the head of the Bridge Burger company. So rerun comes, he's got this little jingle he does, it's pretty funny, um, and but they're they're not interested in rerun because D is making some snide comments, and you know she's all cute in her little dress, and so they're like, we want her to be. Uh, you know, the bridge burger queen. And so she ends up getting the job and she's just fucking hilarious in this episode. I mean, she keeps calling the burger jackass meat and she's trying to eat it. She's like, yeah. it's too dry. She's all, I can't eat jackass meat without ketchup. And of course, Larry Tate's char- the character is like <laughs> freaking out. It's not jackass meat. It's a hundred percent beef. And she keeps repeating that and repeating it. And it's just in the commercial, you know, she gets ketchup and then the burger falls all over. I mean, it's just in a, a tour de force, a comedic tour de force. It's really funny. And I think for like a six-year-old it, or seven-year-old, uh, I don't know if she was that, that young, point, but she, yeah, she was less than, you know, maybe 10 years old, right? She had to be like, I don't know. We should have got our facts yeah. straight of this, of how old she was, but she was real young and she was hilarious. I mean, it's just a, a great performance. And I think all these actors are funny. I think Shirley's great. Like her comic timing and her delivery is great. Well, you know, we mentioned Ernest Thomas, amazing, like his dancing, especially on that My Three Tons. The funniest part is when they when they pull a joke on the on them and they actually have him dress up as, you know, him him take reruns place and him kind of doing his goofy skinny dancing. It's really funny. Um and and you know, and and uh, Dwayne is great too. I mean that hey hey hey, and the, I love the uh huh uh huh uh like that. That's a constant catchphrase yeah. too. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just they're yeah. all appealing. Mabel Thomas is great. There's one episode where um, rerun joins a cult, and um, he yeah he he basically oh, yeah. joins this cult. And there are these grifters, and and uh, they worship uh, this head of lettuce. It's like really funny, and then. They have like, you know, this god goddess Mother Nature. And of course, they have Mabel King and they have some fog machine and they have her dress as Mother Nature. And she comes in and is like, you do not fool with Mother Nature. And she, um, you know, gives the people their money back and stuff. And it's her her comedic performance. And that's really good. So everybody's really great um, that way. Now, I want to talk about some of the serious shit the show went into, because I do think some of this holds up really well. Um, one of the sh- episodes, it's one of my favorites. Um, it's called the incomplete Shakespeare. It's a first season episode where Raj basically, you know, he's watching this TV show central Avenue. That's what about what it's about three kids and Watts, you know, just like them. Right. So this, this is kind of a meta episode where it's kind of about itself. And it's really interesting because, um, 
you know, he sees this show and he's like, I want to write an episode for the show. And, you know, we have the experience. We could do it. And so he writes this. Yeah, right, we're, we're three, three young We can just tell kids. our stories, right? Yeah. And so they come up with this plot where the kids yeah, yeah. find a bag of money and jewelry uh, from that's that was dropped by robbers, you know, trying to get, they robbed a jewelry store and they dropped this bag of money and they find it. And it's all about the, you know, them deciding how do we spend the money? And then they eventually decide to give the money back and they're heroes and all this. Um, but, you know, he eventually, and the basic plot is that he takes, you know, he sends this script in. They end up sending it back to him because they don't take unsolicited scripts. But then he sees the next week they, they do the exact same plot he did. And he goes back to um he goes back to the um uh, uh you know to complain. And I want to play this clip from this because this is I think just brilliant uh writing uh for, for such a, a lightweight show. Let's play this first clip of that episode. It's a bit long, but it's worth it. Now, in these files, I have all the outlines and all the scripts of all my shows, including last night's. Last night's was written about several months ago. Now, you check the date and look through it. Oh. Oh, no. This is exactly the same idea I sent in a month ago. And here's a show we did last season. Same idea? Yeah, same idea. And here's a show we did in 1965. Oh. And the three kids find the bag of money. Yeah, so, I mean, I love this uh, this episode and I love this clip because it kind of shows how TV just recycles ideas. And ironically, I think what's happening is guilty of that, too. Yeah, for um, sure. You know, sitcoms recycle ideas, but it's kind of a window into the into the um, into the background, you know, background of these shows. And I, I really thought it was cool. Um, but then, you know, kind of uh, then it kind of continues. So let's play the next clip. Wait a second. Wait a second. Look, what you said just made a lot of sense. It does? Yes. You see, Central Avenue happens to be a show about young black people. You're young, and you're black. He's right, Raj. I can see it from here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so I love that. So so basically what happens is Raj is basically saying, you know, you're, you're, you're writing about stuff, but you're not really telling how things are, right? And so, um... Basically, he gets a job to kind of be this consultant on the show and to help write it. And, um, you know, he wants to kind of, you know, this this guy's hiring him because he's like, well, he's an actual black kid. So this is kind of about itself. Right. Because what's happening is a show about black kids that's written by a bunch of old white Jewish guys, basically. Actually, not all the writers are Jewish, but I'm pretty sure all the almost most of the writers were white. Uh, You know, Monty was the original uh, black writer. But, you know, again, it's kind of interesting that the show kind of reflects on that and it's doing the same thing. Um, but then it really ends with this kind of powerful speech from Raj when the guy says he doesn't, you know, basically when Raj really m- wants to make the show more gritty, um, this is kind of the TV executive's response. So why don't we play that last clip? But no kid in the ghetto gets $20 a week allowance. He either gets a small allowance or he gets a job. Raj. America doesn't want to know that the people in the ghetto are poor. But 
thought you wanted me to write the truth. I do want you to write the truth, even if you have to lie a little. <laughs> Say what? That's it. That's what I mean. That's what I want. I mean, forget about the plot and the truth and the rest of the garbage. Give me the say what's and the what's is it's. What it is. Good, good. Give me five of those. And give me 10 or 12. Hey, man, and we're in business. No, you're in business. I can't do that. I gotta tell it like it is, or I can't tell it at all. Thank you. And goodbye. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You know what's so, funny is Dwayne was saying that exact yeah. same thing that they were. <laughs> exactly. So they basically did that to Dwayne. They're like, hey, ke- come up with a black people catchphrase. And then yeah. Roger's saying, you know, and this guy's saying the same thing. And Roger's saying, I can't do that. It's about itself. It's so crazy because yeah, what's yeah. happening is guilty of that too. Yeah. It's ironic. But I do think that's really cool. Just this whole, the fact that they address that at all is really interesting. And I, I really love that episode because it it says so much about the show itself in a way that doesn't necessarily reflect well on the show itself, but it's kind of cool they did it. It's just, yeah, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance there. It's really interesting. Um, but again, you know, this was this was kind of what I was talking about earlier, where, you know, I was introduced to the, you know, the whole idea of the ghetto and all that is coming from this show, even though it's a very kind of Disney-fied, sanitized version of, you know, what actually went on. Um, and there's another great episode that really, th- these are episodes I actually remembered before I watched them again. And I watched them again because I was like, you know, I remember these episodes after, you know, looking at the episodes, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that one about, you know, him writing for TV. Or I remember this next one about the hospital, called the hospital stay. So Raj has a, you know, a minor injury, he goes into the hospital and he's next, uh, you know, next door to, uh, you know, he's sharing a room with this old cranky, you know, African-American man who's just bitter and angry. And, um, you know, uh, he kind of, uh, he, he kind of turns around and becomes more friendly with D because D reminds him of his daughter who he is estranged from because his daughter married a white man. Um, and it turns out this old bitter man is co- possibly old and bitter because he's got health problems, but it's also because he was one of the stars of the Negro baseball leagues, right? All of these great players that were better than anybody in major league baseball who had like records that just eclipsed all of them who were completely ignored. I had never heard of this before seeing this show when I was a kid. You know, I'd never heard of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. And yet here it is on the show. And there's this great clip uh, where Mrs. Thomas talks about this. So let's play that from this episode. Are you sure you played baseball? That's what Dee said. But if he played in the major leagues, he should be listed in this book, right? Yeah. Well, maybe we missed it. Let's go through it again, okay? All right. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Mrs. Thomas. Hi, Mom. How's your leg, Raj? Oh, much better. Hey, that's good. What are you reading? The baseball encyclopedia. We're trying to find Johnny Gibbs. I told you it was Spike Gibbs. <laughs> he played for the Homestead Grays 1928 to 1939. Lifetime batting average of 327, led the league in stolen bases three times, and that's how he got his nickname Spike. <laughs> Mama, what is she talking about? Well, while we were shopping, Dee told me all about Spike. So I thought you'd like to read about him, so I got you this from the library. Oh, wow. The biggest era in baseball. Turn to page 67. 
<laughs> hey, here's his picture. Sp Spike Gibbs. Wow. He stole 120 bases in one season. Hey, and look Ooh. at this. Smokey Joe Williams struck out 27 men in one game. Wow. Hey, and Josh Gibson had 75 home runs in one season. Man, that's more than Babe Ruth hit. How come we never heard of Spike Gibbs and Josh Gibson? How come? Because uh, Spike Gibbs and all these wonderful players could only play in the Negro Leagues until 1947. That's when Jackie Robinson came along and broke the color barrier. Now, you have heard of him, haven't you? Oh. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a clip. You know, it's yeah. like that's something I never, never heard about. And the show, you know, it was educational for me in that way. So, I mean, that was like, you know, another episode that I remembered, you know, having an impact. Um, and then, of course, like you mentioned, this is all pretty early in the show. This is I think this is season two. Um, and there's uh, or it might have even been season one. Season one's got a lot of the more serious episodes by season three. Things get really goofy, like we mentioned with Big Earl and Little Earl. And there's a really strange episode that I think is kind of a curiosity um, that's called The Last Page. This is when Rerun gets a job as a page for ABC, which, of course, is the network the show ran on. Right. And so what they do is this weird anthology episode that's almost like a commercial for the network. They they actually have these dream sequences. So they're, you know, the plot is Rerun takes them on a tour and they're walking through backstage and they see all the costumes and they start pulling costumes off of these uh, racks. And, um, you know, of course the first thing they find is Fonzie's leather jacket. Um, and rerun puts it on and he's like, I could have been the, you know, cause he reruns basically saying, you know, I'm, he's quitting his page job because he wants to actually become an actor. And so he's like, you know, this is his introduction to becoming an actor. And so he's like having these fantasies, like I could have played the Fonz. And so the, you know, it kind of goes into the stream sequence and then you get this weird fake set, like stage set that's like drawn on, that's like, uh, you know, Cartoon, Arnold's. Yeah, right, it's yeah. like cartoonish. And then you have, of course, who plays Richie, but Raj, perfect, right? He's kind of like Richie Cunningham anyway, right? He's got a lead, uh, kind of goofy, nerdy kid who's the lead. And then you have, um, you know, I think Haywood is, is, is Potsy, right? And then you have, uh, you know, Rerun plays the Fonz, and then you have Shirley playing like a girl, and you know, and Rerun does this really terrible, like Fred Fred Stubbs, this is terrible, terrible, uh, uh, you know, uh, Henry Winkler impersonation. It's just excruciatingly bad. <laughs> and then, of course, the, it fades, and then the most amusing thing is what happens next. They go into Three's company because they find Suzanne Summers nighty, right? <laughs> and and the funniest thing about this is, of course, Rerun is the star. He's Jack Tripper. A D is a natural Janet, you know, the more serious character. And then, of course, who's Chrissy but Dwayne? You know, Haywood <laughs> <laughs> Nelson. That is actually really funny. But And, of course, the jokes are typical Three's Company jokes. And, and you know, um, Mrs. Roper is Shirley and Mr. Roper is Raj. And he actually is pretty funny and, and playing, doing kind of the, you know, smirking Norman fell kind of performance. And then of course they have a, this terrible, terrible Mork from Ork, uh, you know, Mork and Mindy parody uh, where, you know, rerun is Mork. And then they have like, hi, I'm Bork from Spork. You know, it's like this <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible parody. So it's like really, yeah. really bad. I just wanted to mention it. Cause it, that's the show really fell off a cliff on the third season. Um, you know, and of course, like I said, the, there is the Doobie brothers episode. We will talk about, uh, which I think is a real bright spot for the show. 
Now here, I was originally going to go short. I think I'm going to go neutral here because I, you know, in revisiting these episodes, I don't think I could quite be long because I think a lot of the humor just doesn't hold up. And, and a lot of it, you know, especially this last page episode, I kind of remembered it fondly. But when I watched it again, it was just a cringe fest. Um, and uh, a lot of the shows were like that. But uh, those few episodes, uh, you know, the incomplete Shakespeare, the hospital stay. And there are a few other episodes that were more funny. Like I think the Doobie Brothers is, uh, you know, we'll talk about that more during your evaluation. I'm so long on that episode. It's funny because, um, you know, one thing I was I was doing was I was like, I'm going to look up what people think the best episodes of what's happening are. Like, what are the best episodes? And yeah. I couldn't find much, you know, like a ranking. There were a few. Um, but I found this like hundred best episodes of all time, like Collider or one of these sites, you know, one of these kind of, um, Buzzfeed style sites. And I looked at it, it was all modern shit. It was all like, of course, Game of Thrones, this, you know, Sopranos, you know, uh, uh, you know, Breaking Bad, Ozymandias, you know, uh, all this stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck? Where's the Rockford Files? Where's the Columbo? Where's the you know, where's the Hill Street Blues? Where's your old shows? You know, where's your Twin Peaks or Northern Exposure? I, but really, I was almost thinking, Barb, I was telling my wife, I'm like, Barb, what if I keep going down these pages? You know, and I go to, to the top 100, down to the top 40, top 50, top 30, top 10, and I get to number one. And it's like, number two is Game of Thrones finale. And number one is what's happening, the Doobie Brothers episode. Yeah. Because I totally think it should be in any top 10 episodes because it's so fucking amazing, which we'll talk about more. So I think the Doobie Brothers episode, these couple of serious episodes, I'm actually going to change what I originally intended. I was going to go mildly short. Um, I think I'm going to stay neutral because I do think some of the fat joke shit and all that just doesn't hold up. But I do think there's enough of that kind of, um, you know, stuff where they do serious things that they do it well. Uh, they do it so well and in a way that's uh, accessible to people. And then, of course, there are a couple of classics like the Doobie Brothers episode and the and the disco uh, episode. Um, so I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. So, look, I love the show. I even watching it, you know, now I still have a lot of affection for it. The characters, as we've been talking about, were very charming and likable and the actors all uh, talented. Um, Raj, I think, as an actor, just really played it very down the middle and he was funny at times and serious at other times and just very relatable as a, as a young man, even though he was obviously in his mid twenties, just a talented right. guy, uh, a talented actor to be able to pull that off in a way that didn't throw you out of it. Like, right. I don't know, some shit like Beverly Hills, 90210, where you had like a 40 year olds playing with teenagers <laughs> and shit. You know, yeah, totally. You know, where it's just like, this is terrible. And like, I, I don't know, some of the characters just really did not work that way. But um, D, obviously, you talked about, and I couldn't agree more. And and the uh, Mabel King was, was great. I want to call out Shirley Hemphill um, for her comedic uh, timing. And, and you know, she was, she was the instigator and the butt of a lot of jokes. But she was always funny. Yeah. And, you know, she and I have a clip of her coming up on what I think is her typical sort of contribution to the to the show. when we talk about the, the Doobie Brothers here in a minute. But I thought she was really funny. Rerun was funny, too. I mean, it was all a great ca uh, core cast. Yeah, I think you know, there's it's not a surprise that Shirley uh, finding out Shirley uh, is a was a stand up comedian. Yeah, uh, because, yeah, I think she has incredible comic timing, like her delivery and her facial expressions and stuff. are She's pretty funny. 
she, um, she had a lot of good instincts for the camera and the screen that maybe a lot of comedians like stand-ups don't. But yeah. I, just watching it now, I'm like, she was really, she was really funny, um, really funny, funny. I think that's um, why they gave her her own show. Yeah, you know, I mean, they, they should they, have just because the show faltered. They obviously saw something in her. They're like, we want to keep this out. You know, obviously we're canceling the show, but we really like this actress. You know, that we think we could do something else with her because she's just a got a great screen presence and is really funny. And there were some shows with her that weren't so great on there where, like, uh, she had a love interest who was only, oh, was yeah. like, you know, like a con it, man or something. Yeah, there was and, one that where she was dating a guy who was married. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that was the one where he, yeah. was, he was married and, and you know, the, he, he was conning her, I guess, in that sense. Yeah. But um, the later seasons with Big and Little Earl, eh, not not my favorite. No. I didn't think Snake was the greatest character either. I, That's that full on was, jumping. I think Big, Big Earl and Little Earl and Snake are like jump the shark moments for the yeah, show. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Completely. The, the, the Snake actor, not a great actor, and the um, Big and Little Earl characters were just sort of like, introduce a kid because her, you know, D was already a young woman at that point, yeah. you know, um, probably on the show. She, the actress is probably like 16, 17, something like that. So um, anyway, you know, there were some issues that were tackle important issues, social issues, racial issues, as you mentioned. Um, but it was done in a much more um, indirect and maybe easier for a kid at least to, to understand yeah. Way than something like Good Times, um, which I watched, by the way, and loved and definitely had a thing as a little kid. I thought Janet Jackson was really cute. I thought yeah. that, she, yeah. you know, like on that show. Me I too. Was Me too. Like, oh, wow, I really like her. And she she was just an adorable little girl, you know, right. I have to say she she really was. Um, and a good actress, too, you know, talented, obviously. Um, good Times, I remember, though, just being these really heavy episodes that as yeah. a kid, it was just too much for me. Like I remember the one where um, uh, the husband, you know, James, right, uh, yeah. uh, dies, is killed, you right. know, and and like that was like this heavy, horrible thing. And I was like, oh man, as a little kid, it was like it was too much. Like it, it was supposed to be an adult show, but I mean, they obviously uh, James Evans was the character's name, right? So yeah, the uh, um, it was just too much for me, and and uh, at times as a you know six or seven, eight year old, and. This show is never like that. Even the important issues were done in an accessible way, which I actually think is one of the most important things about this show. And to the point that you made, I think long-term, and I'll get into this in my summation, I think long-term people will view this show as really an important show in that its success in reaching out to white suburban kids who maybe yeah. didn't have a lot of experience with, with black kids or black culture right. or whatever. This show was an important piece of that for, and it was for me, I think. And it was for my sister, I think. And it was just, I just remember watching the show and go, well, these kids are just like us. They have the same problems. They have the same kind of right. ambitions. Like they right. have the same. And I can't, I can't overestimate how important I think that was. And you feel similarly too, but you know, um, I was reading this um, interview with Ernest Thomas and his take on all of it, I think was even most interesting at all being sort of in the center of it. Right. And he thought that, um, you know, obviously three teenagers, I think were a bit of a Trojan horse because teenagers issues aren't as serious as like the issues on good times or, I mean, Sanford and son was different. It was a comedy, but, you, but, the, or even Archie Bunker, 
uh, all in the family and those sort of issues. The issues that kids were facing were usually much more innocuous and and that was sort of a bit of a Trojan horse. Yeah, and they they shoehorn those issues in. Like I mentioned on the two episodes I talked about, they definitely confront those issues. It just wasn't constant. You know, it wasn't like, like good times. It seemed like almost every show. I mean, while you had the comic relief of Jimmy Walker, you had almost every show dealing with these harsh subjects. And and yeah. I think with, you know, with, uh, you know, there's just a lot of lightweight shows and what's happening. And then they would kind of fit in these shows that would confront racism or, or, you know, actually talk about black history in a serious way. Like I mentioned with the Negro leagues, uh, the, the hospital stay. So, yeah, I agree. And I think, um, you know, I obviously read this interview too. And I think that's what really kind of made me look at it differently. I was like, yeah, he's right. You know, that because they're kids, it really does make it more accessible. I want to read a quote from that um, article. Yeah. We can put this in the show notes. It, it said, um, this is from Ernest Thomas. He says, I've talked to white folks over the years that hated black folks. I mean, goodness, they hated them. And their folks were that way, families, right? But as a child, when the when the folks were gone, they'd be the kids would be channel surfing, right? And stumble over what's happening and find themselves staying there. And the next thing you know, they're laughing, but they go, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to laugh. Um, and you know, yeah. He says, you know, you're not thinking about it because it's a little kid, but as far as interracial relations, I think it really helped. This is his quote. And and I think he's 100% right, 100% right. And I think it'll go down in history as being an important show for um, that reason. Um, by the way, as an aside, in the same article, um, Ernest Thomas was asked his favorite episode and he didn't hesitate and said the Doobie Brothers episode. Yeah. Which uh, we're about to get into in some detail here. But um, one, one of the things that I just wanted to also uh, bring up before we get into the Doobie Brothers episode here, which all listeners have been waiting for, um, <laughs> of course, is yeah. um, they went to a convention, like a TV convention, so the cast of What's Happening. And the first time they went there, they saw all these people standing in line. It's crazy. And all white people. And Ernest Thomas said, oh, wow, somebody's really popular is like Fonzie here or something like that. And one of the people working there said, what are you talking about? They're waiting to see you. Yeah. Right. Like they're, they're waiting online and, and they couldn't believe it. They had no idea that they had had this impact on white suburban kids, basically. And, and it, I think it's 100 percent true in the best possible way. So. Um, okay. So here we are with the Doobie Brothers episode. You know, if you've been listening to the show, we can't resist this episode. As Slip was saying, this is really one of the best episodes of certainly the best episode of what's happening. Yeah. And we, I think but would both say one of the best episodes in TV history, especially of that. Definitely. Era. Everybody remembers this one. It's amazing. Now, and I think, we... I think, I think, I think watching it again, I was like, wow, it's even better than I thought. And we'll talk more about that. That. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to point out before we get into it that it was not the first musical episode um, featured in What's Happening, right? So there was this episode that featured uh, Mr. Haywood Nelson as Dwayne doing this. Hey, girls, gather round. <laughs> this is what I'm putting down. Hey, baby, I'm your handyman. This is like for a talent show. Episode. I'm not the kind of use a pencil or rule. I'm handy with the slogan, I'm no fool. I fix broken heart. I know I really can. He's doing a little dance here too. Which is All right, so that was supposed what to be. What episode was that? 
Oh, I don't remember I, that at all. That's, I've yeah. got to watch that one again. Yeah, I think there is a there is a talent show, and he's trying to impress some girl. I forget the plot exactly, but um, I remembered that song, and I found it, and, and I love that episode. He's really funny in it. There's another episode, though, more serious about music. You may remember this one. Um, I certainly did, and uh, this is a great clip. Different musical episode. Roger, not to Apollo. <laughs> I know, Shirley, but these kids are fantastic. Just wait till you hear them. Well, let me see what I can do. Show me something. Hit it. So this was uh, a, the Gong a, Show episode. The Gong Show episode. Yeah. So. Anyway, here we are, the Doobies, and season two, episode 16 and 17, the two-parter. Now, if those of you in the audience have not seen this show or not seen this particular episode, do yourself a favor. We'll put the link in the show notes. Just go and watch the whole thing. But setting it up, the, the, the whole conceit of this is that the Doobie brothers are coming to play at Jefferson High, the home high school of Raj and Rerun and, and Dwayne and, and D eventually as well. Um, and, and we should mention in the plot, it's the home high school of Patrick Simmons as we well. We will get into that. Yep. Which is not true. <laughs> this was invented for the episode. Right, right. But so here, here's the, the setup here. Here's a little clip of the setup. You know, if that chili doesn't wear off soon, I'm going to have to hose you down. <laughs> oh, hey, where's Rima? That's what we'd like to know. He's been gone for hours. He left to get us tickets for the Doobie Brothers concert. Hey, man, I can't wait to see him. Can you believe the Doobie Brothers are at our school, man? Well, I got my ticket. So they're in the soda shop listening to the Doobie Brothers on the jukebox, all excited that the Doobie Brothers are coming to play at their high school and everyone's uh, talking about getting tickets. Rerun's gone because he's out supposedly getting tickets and that comes, he comes back later. I don't have a clip of this. And he decided to go get a burger and fries instead of waiting in line and did not get tickets, even though Shirley got her tickets. And so he's sitting there. Uh, you know, Raj and Dwayne are pissed off at Rerun. They go off, at, leave the soda shop um, to go find their own tickets. And Rerun's sitting there all dejected. And hearing all of this transpire is sort of the, the evil uh, guy of the episode, the, the, um, you know, the guy who is going to be the villain here. Um, a character by the name of Al Dunbar and his, uh, his sidekick, uh, Muscle uh, Bruno. And this is uh, the setup here. I'll play a little clip of that and then we can talk about this uh, plot. Say, um, say, brother, excuse me, I don't mean to seem nosy, but uh, I just heard that you couldn't get no tickets for the Doobie concert, man. That is too bad because the Doobie brothers are some beautiful guys. Woo. You know them? Man, me and the doobies go back a long time. Really? Yeah, really. Uh, Al Dunbar. Rerun. Rerun. Well, look here, Rerun. You go, my man. Wow. Three front row seats. That's right, brother. They for you. Mine? Mm hmm What's the catch? Hey, come on now, man. There ain't no catch. I just want you to do me and the doobies a favor. I'd like to do the doobies a favor. What is it? I want to record the concert. Me? How can I record the concert? Easy, rerun. Just take a tape recorder inside at the beginning and turn it on and turn it off at the end. 
Why don't you do it? <laughs> Look, I would love to, man, really love to. But if the Doobie Brothers see me, they're going to start hollering, let's sing this one for Brother Al, huh? And they won't be themselves, and we want them to be themselves. You understand? Wow. First this of all, actor, actor awesome. is incredible. This, this is like an incredible tour de force sitcom performance. Uh, this this actor who plays Al Dunbar, I love this. I love his delivery, everything about him. Man, he's yeah. so so great. He's so funny. We'll we'll put uh, his name at least to honor him in the in the right. show notes. I, I don't have it at my fingertips no. here. No, but uh, he he was great. And so if you're following along, he targets rerun, gives him tickets, asks them to record the concerts under this lie, right? This uh, about um, doing it as a favor uh, for the. The Doobie Brothers, meanwhile, uh, later on, Raj is trying to figure out how he can get tickets and meet the Doobie Brothers. And he's trying to track them down at their hotel. And he tries to call them up and pulls this uh, thing here, which you'll right. hear. Ah, hello there. Uh, the Doobie Brothers room, please. And I'll speak with any Doobie who do be in. Ah, <laughs> uh, hello there. <laughs> I be Roger Thomas. Which doobie you be? <laughs> right. He's trying to. He's trying to. He's trying to use his high school newspaper press credentials to get like an interview with them. And you know, that's right. and it works by the way, yeah. right? And right. But but what's funny about that? Which doobie you be? Apparently, yeah. that's quite the line that Ernest Thomas says. Like thousands of people have come up to him over the years to and yeah. say, you know say to him, "Hey, what doobie?" You be kind of like, you know, right. D- Danielle Spencer getting people going, ooh, I'm telling mama, which, you know, she said, I saw an interview with her where she's just like, yeah, I have to sit there and pretend I've never heard that before. You know, she's heard it like 8 billion times, right? So um, anyway, so he gets a hold of the Doobie Brothers management. He says he's from the high school um, and he wants to interview them. And the Doobie Brothers are like, yeah, you're playing at your school. Sure, come on down uh, to the um, interview. Of course, Rerun and D and, and uh, Dwayne all, all tag along and they show up at the uh, gymnasium uh, where they're playing and they hear the doobies uh, practicing um, for the show. And here is the first song that they hear. Okay, I want to pause there and I want to talk about this song and I want to talk about fucking Michael McDonald being fucking awesome as a background singer and maybe the greatest background vocalist in rock uh, history I would say, ever. I would say there's very little uh, question of that. Uh, and, and the thing is, is what's interesting about him too is we'll listen to some clips later. You know, there's some of the songs they play during this where they were originally not, like Blackwater, for instance. Yeah. We can talk about that later, but... They're originally not featuring Michael McDonald. And I actually like these versions because these are these are these versions. I'm not sure how they did this, 
Um, you know, the whole conceit of them being on the show was actually they their publicist, David Guest, who would later be famous for marrying Liza Minnelli and maybe maybe being in the closet. You know, kind of a There's closet no question again. about that. Yeah, he, uh, he was their publicist and he basically arranged this whole thing, you know, which is an interesting thing to do because it's a black show and you have a white band. But of course, the Doobie Brothers, you know, they're a crossover, especially with Michael McDonald. Michael McDonald brought that R&B influence really heavily in. Um, but it's like, yeah, that was that was what was interesting is that, you know, the, the, the way they recorded this was they was these were not the studio versions. They were live in a sense. I'm not sure if they just re-recorded them in a studio or they recorded them live. But they're different versions of the songs because like Michael McDonald didn't sing on Blackwater, the original, because he wasn't a member of the band yet. Right. But what he does to that song and we'll talk, we'll play. I think he will play some of that is just insane. It's like, it's like his, his harmonies are just amazing, you know, uh, unbelievable. I mean, and look, Steel, uh, Steely Dan, which, you know, there's no bigger fan of than I am. We'll, we'll get into that undoubtedly in future episodes. No wonder they hired half this band, right? I mean, Michael McDonald's vo- vocals, insane. Skunk Bas- Baxter obviously was an early yeah, he member. He was a founding member, right? Or That's original right. member. And then Michael McDonald was hired later for, he was like an official member during Katie Lied before right. joining Doobies. Yep. That's right. And so anyway, just hearing and seeing Michael McDonald play, you just remember how amazing he was. And he sang on so many people's songs and, you know, obviously Yacht Rock, uh, the the great web series kind of made fun of that to some degree and right. respecting it all at the same time. I mean, they're huge fans of his. I just want to just go on record. Like I'm blown away by him every time I hear him. Yeah. And he's made me reappreciate him again. Not that I couldn't even appreciate him more because I love him, but he was just so great on these episodes too. Just seeing him play with that beard and the hair and just, it was so awesome. So um, anyway, um, they play another clip here, a little darling sounds for that. So Obviously, uh, you know, he's lead on that song. And as a lead singer, he's also great, too. So just really an amazing talent, all-time talent in, in my estimation. I think yours as well, right? Um, let's see. So they do these rehearsal uh, uh, clip, sound clips. The, the gang's all watching this and dancing around and having a good time. They pause. And this gets into the conceit of the show where, where Patrick Simmons uh, you know, one of the lead singers of the Doobie Brothers um, and founders um, says, hey, uh, Rerun, I recognize you from uh, Mrs. Phillips' class, who is a character, Mrs. Phillips, who plays in later episodes. Um, yeah, I recognize you when I was here. Do You came back for the show, and here's what he has to say. Hey, Rerun, I remember you from Miss Phillips' class. Hey, that's right! Hey, nice to see you came back for the concert. Came back? I'm still here. <laughs> So yeah. Rerun has apparently been in uh, high school for 15 years at that yeah, point. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, one of the other clips, by the way, when they're t- talking and, and de-sassing around when they're talking about the Doobie Brothers, uh, Tiran uh, Porter, who's the bass player of uh, the Doobie Brothers, she has this little quip, which is pretty funny. Were you a half-brother? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not really related. We just sort of depend on each other, you know, a lot like you do with your brother Raj. You're in big trouble. 
So, by the way, he has a great voice, too. Yeah. I don't know why he didn't sing more, because... He might be background vocals, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. talk about a deep bass, very pleasant oh, sounding yeah. voice. Yeah. Like, wow, butter. Anyway, um, here's where it gets weird and all TV-like, where they um, Raj is starting this interview after all this uh, preamble. And instead of saying, hey, how did you come to you know play at the show? Or are you on tour? <laughs> yeah. or, you know, right. he, he starts off the interview by saying, hey, what's the biggest problem you have? Which is a weird fucking question to ask in an interview and a shitty question to ask as your first question. But, you know, obviously this is meant to the plot of the show. And, and so Raj says, what's the biggest problem you have in this clip? I really love your new album, Living on the Port Line. So do I. Yeah. Well, uh, what's your biggest problem? I mean, what gets you the craziest? Yeah. It's definitely bootlegging. Yeah. Bootlegging? Yeah, bootlegging. What's that? Uh, that's where somebody illegally records one of our concerts, you know, and sells it to the public. Yeah, what happens is, see, the record company doesn't make any money, we don't make any money, and uh, the public gets a pretty bad recording. Well, how do they get away with it? Well, the bootlegger gets some gullible, unsuspecting, stupid kid and gives him tickets and sets him up with a tape recorder to sneak in. Obviously setting up the whole plot. Of yeah, the show, yeah, right? it's, it's very awkward, but it's funny. It's, it's pretty funny. It's also cool because, you know, again, I didn't know what this was, you know, uh, at the time. You know, yeah. and I this was I'm pretty sure I saw this when it aired. You know, this was the second season, so I probably had saw it, seen it when it was there, but I definitely saw it in syndication. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it tells you what bootlegging actually is, but it's I'm sure that's not their biggest problem. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, mean, I can't imagine. On. Yeah, it, I remember as a kid watching this and like the shitty little tape recorder that that uh, oh, yeah. straps to his girth there. Um, like every kid had that tape recorder. It was like twelve dollars oh, yeah. at the thrifty, yep. and they sounded like shit. Like I couldn't believe that anybody would even attempt to record a show with that. Because yeah. the fidelity and the dynamic range of those yeah, things. Yeah, professional but, bootleggers, you know, yeah. the recordings are a lot better than that. Obviously, they're right. It's probably not as good as a real recording, you know, and it's not, uh, you know, legal or whatever. But it's, you know, most bootlegs aren't going to, no one's going to sell a bootleg that's recorded in someone's, ja you know, a, a cheap Kmart tape recorder in their jacket. Yeah. You know? But and it's of, funny. It's funny. It, yeah. And of course, you know, the next part is where Al Dunbar, uh, the villain here, is helping uh, get Rerun set up. And Raj and Dwayne, who are now in on the plot, are working with Rerun to figure this out. And here's a little clip just to set the stage here. But well, Rerun, don't move around too much, man. The tape recorder might fall off, all right? Yeah, but what if I have to go to, uh, you know what? <laughs> well, I hope you remember to turn the thing off. <laughs> so they're playing yeah. around, trying to figure out right. how to record. They do a little singing uh, to test it out, which features into the plot later on. They go to the concert. Rerun has this tape recorder strapped to his gut underneath a big raincoat, and he's uh, eating the entire time as well. And now we get into the concert itself, which I don't know. If, you, if I saw this concert at my high school gym, I would have freaked the fuck out because it was amazing to be a concert for a high school gym with like smoke effects and sound was amazing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, right? they go into this crazy, do you have a clip of that or did you did of the weird jam they do? 
Um, uh, I might not have that. Okay, but jacket. but we should talk about that because that is insane. Yeah. They go, you know, they play. Jeff's going to play a bunch of their uh, clips from the concert, but this is almost a full. It's like a mini concert. You it know, is. it's like a bunch of songs. It it takes up the whole, almost the whole second half of the uh, of of the show. You know, the part two parter. It takes up the whole half hour almost, and it's like there's this whole instrumental jam that's like this prog rock psychedelic thing that you would not expect to come from the doobie brothers that involves uh the drum one of the drummers like basically hitting a gong with a fiery mallet and there's smoke and then there's all these clips of like you know them dancing it's like almost surreal it's just so strange but it's just like an incredible thing and um yeah i mean i just wanted to talk about that because I, you know, watching this again, I was like, holy crap, this is awesome. The Doobie Brothers are awesome. You know, like I was so blown away by their performance. But yeah, we'll listen to some other clips because there's some amazing other songs they do. Here's um, uh, here's Black Water, right? You yeah, I love to this. So yeah. there you go. Black yeah, the, the, the extra dimension of Michael McDonald's vocals just add to that song. I mean, the original is a great song. It was a huge hit for them. It's a it's a it's you know, they're they're a really weird band because they do all kinds of different music. You know, they have this kind of biker rock. They've got this kind of country song, Black they have Water. Jazz rock. They have like right? jazz rock. You know, they have yeah. that weird jam. They have like art and then they have like Little Darling, which is a classic cover, R&B cover and Echoes of Love, which is another R&B style song. So it's kind of cool. They have such variety, but I love what Michael McDonald adds to that that song, his harmonies and vocals. Me too. And, you know, they play a bunch of different stuff. Here's another clip from Rock Me A Little. Rock Me A Little While. I, yeah. I do, I do want to point out there's, there's this really weird, awkward thing that is a callback to setting the stage that Patrick Simmons was a student at Jefferson High School and that the whole concert was a charity show to pay for the music program or music instruments for the school. He he does like a little um, interlude during the concert and talks about how great it's great it is to be back at Jefferson High School, and then makes a date rape joke, which is oh, really yeah. so. I I just want to play this because it's really this is will not play well in the future. Right? Yeah, yeah. Before we play our last song, I'd like to thank you all for coming. It's been really great being back at the old high school. Yeah. Yeah. They taught me lots of things here. Learned a lot about geometry, history, in uh, phys ed. I learned how to wrestle a girl into the backseat of my car. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, I know this was like a common trope at the, at, you know, that time. Oh, yeah. Which is, yeah, it doesn't it, age well. Doesn't age well, not not at all. But it's the the, the, the doobie acting too yeah. is like so is, funny because there's so awkward. Maybe like yeah. When I remember like there's a couple of you know they give e almost each of the members a chance to say their little thing, and there's a couple of things where like they're like, hey kids, you know, 
We're, it's great to be here. This is a great school. Stay in school, work hard, you know, get good grades. You yeah, know, it's take like, your it's vitamins. Like, yeah, take your vitamins. It's all this kind of advice, <laughs> and it's delivered in this robotic, you know, monotone, because obviously they're not actors. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, it's 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 all pretty charming, though. Uh, other is. than the date rape joke, of course. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the final the final music thing, obviously, is uh, taking it to the streets. Michael McDonald tour de force here. I'll play a little bit of that. live recording folks that is a fucking yeah, it's awesome pretty band. much impeccable i and I, we should say something about this song because the song is about uh you know kind of the problems that you know he's kind of singing about the uh, uh, from the perspective of an african-american who's facing these problems that's what uh, i read this interview with patrick simmons about this episode uh in ultimate classic rock and he was talking about how you know, it was fun for them to do. They really liked the cast. You know, they got along. They had a, it was a really positive experience for them. Uh, he jokingly said, "This is probably the one thing we'll be remembered for is this television episode." So that kind of goes to show how it's lasted and how people still like it. But he also talked about how Michael McDonald had written this song. You know, that was about uh, you know kind of what the show is about. You know, about about uh, the struggles of black people and like kind of saying, you know, we, we need to pay attention to this. And so that was kind of something he mentioned as fitting into the show and also how they, you know, it is, a, it is weird. Like, I'm like wondering why was, you know, it seems like it would have been more logical for them to have like parliament or funkadelic on the show, you know, or earth, wind and fire, which is a much more mainstream kind of crossover band, like parliament. And that's pretty, pretty much white people didn't really know who parliament was, you know, yeah. I didn't know who they were until the nineties, you know, when I was in college. Um, but, you know, cause I didn't grow up with that, even though my family listened to a lot of R and B and stuff, I just knew the big names like Earth, Wind and Fire, yeah, but which is much Bootsy, more crossover. Bootsy Collins saying stay in school would have been awesome, right? Oh yeah. Well, Bootsy's <laughs> acting would have been incredible. Yeah. I mean, that would have been incredible. And it would have been more like what these kind of kids would listen to. Yeah. But at the same time, the doobies were a crossover act. And I think, Having that, again, it, it plays to this whole thing of like, you know, these are white kids, watch, a lot of white kids watching this and they're being exposed to this. And it's kind of good to see that crossover, you know, the fact that they were a crossover band. And, you know, and I think they actually, Patrick Simmons actually mentioned, hey, we saw a lot more black people at our shows after this episode, right? This yeah. is a popular TV show and it's kind of them crossing over and reaching out and in reciprocating so it's kind of cool you know it, it yeah i think this ages really well this this aspect of it um ages really well anyway and it sh and it highlights like what a great band the doobies were just yeah. as musicians and as um you know players right before uh, we kind of step into the later part of the episode we also have to mention how fucking cool uh skunk baxter is yeah with his weird cane i don't know if he had an injury 
but he's doing during that prog jam I mentioned, he does this incredible guitar solo. I mean, he's an awesome player. Um, and he's just shredding, but he's seated the whole time. Yeah. You know, and he's wearing this Warner Brothers weird sweater and uh, sweatshirt sweater that there was, was custom made sweaters this woman was making for different things in the early 70s. She made like a Rolling Stones goat head soup one that has like this goat on it. And I'm just like, man, I would fucking totally wear that. And he's he's wearing this weird Warner Brothers thing that was commemorating the show. But it was like these really expensive custom made sweaters. I kind of went down a rabbit hole because when my wife saw that, my wife's really into fashion and stuff. She's like, what the hell is that up that fucking sweater? You know, and so we went and 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 looked it up. And so it was like this whole thing, we a rabbit hole we went down. But he's just really, you know, they're they just give an amazing performance overall. Obviously, Michael McDonald is the shining light there, but they're all really good. They're an incredible band. And I think this is uh probably the best. I mean, I've seen a lot of TV shows with guest star rock bands. You know, you had like Rick Springfield on um the Rockford Files, you had uh uh, Davy Jones on the Brady Bunch, right from the Monkees. Yeah, the, the Bee Gees. I think were on one show too. There's a, there were a lot of those kind of appearances, but I don't think anything comes close to this. Um, no way, you know, because yeah. the performance is so fucking good, and they they show a lot of it, but it's it's just the performance itself stands on its own, apart from even the you know the amusing factor of having them on in the first place. Yeah, no, definitely, and Skunk Baxter, his look too, that mustache. Yeah. It oh, was yeah. pretty epic. And um, obviously he was a founding member of Steely Dan and uh, you don't get into be Steely Dan without being a pretty world-class uh, musician. Yeah, exactly. Which he, which he uh, certainly is um, as well as his later life as a defense uh, consultant. Oh, that's just consultant. so bizarre. That is Isn't so that bizarre. <laughs> that's a yeah. whole other side story. We'll get yeah. into uh, All right. So uh, they're playing, they're rocking out, listening to taking it to the streets Reruns dancing around, maybe not very brightly. Uh, and uh, a recorder strapped to his side falls out and they get busted. And here's the, what happens there. I thought you guys were our friends. How could you guys do this to us? I'm sorry. We were forced. A guy gave us the recorder, money, and great seats. He really twisted your arm. <laughs> they, what they don't get into and we didn't talk about is uh, Al Dunbar and his henchman uh, uh, Bruno is his name were threatened to hurt them obviously right. they didn't go through with this uh, they didn't want to go through with it um, and they tried to get out of it and they were threatened um, so the, the plot is uh, you know while the recording is going on Al Dunbar is hanging around the soda shop to, to meet up with the kids after the concert to get the tape and to skedaddle but in the meantime, he decides that Rob's place, the soda shop, is a kind of establishment where he wants to order a fancy dinner, and he engages uh, Shirley in this uh, fantasy, I guess, to some degree. Yeah, more Al straight. Dunbar clips are always a good thing. So Yeah, yeah. this is Al Dunbar. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Uh, yep. He should have won an Emmy for this episode. He should have. Same as shake and bake. I like an order. You got it about face much. I don't mean that type of order. I like me a big old filet mignon, medium rare. Filet what? Filet mignon, medium rare. Oh, that filet. Oh, would you like a baked potato with that, sir? Yeah, yeah. And a little chives with that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, would you like steak sauce with this, sir? Right on, sister. Mm -hmm. Well, now, how about 
A little shrimp cocktail for starters. All right. Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Uh, sir, may I suggest a piece of pecan pie for dessert? Mm, now you talking. Am I talking? Yeah. Yeah? Here you go. Well, what is this? Your grocery list. <laughs> awesome. All right. Surely. So I'm going to, uh, I, I don't think we can hold off any longer. We have to get pay some tribute to the actor Theodore Roosevelt quote-unquote Teddy Wilson. That is the actor who plays Al Dunbar. Uh, incredible Mr. Roosevelt. Died way too young. He died uh, at the age of, what is it, uh, 48, um, 1991. So it's really sad. Uh, but yeah, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, quote-unquote Teddy Wilson, uh, is uh, the immortal actor who played Al Dunbar. I love every single word out of his mouth. He's on a couple other episodes too, as different characters. Yeah, but he's an amazing uh, character actor. I mean, he just nails it on this. Um, I mean, it's, it's really great. like the perfect villain, and he just yeah, you know, he he's, it's he's just, just smooth way of talking and his delivery, yeah. and like it's just I could listen to that guy talk all day. It's and comedic timing. I mean, he's oh, yeah. gone toe to toe with a great comic uh, actor. In yeah. Shirley Hemphill, right? That's right. So, That's right. Uh, so anyway, um, so look, the kids get busted. The Doobie Brothers, uh, you know, sort of threaten them lightly that they're going to go to jail. And then they're like, well, we were forced to. Um, D stands up to Raj saying that, you know, Raj is too straight, narrow to do anything illegal. Al Dunbar said, and they're like, oh, Al Dunbar, we know who this guy is. He's been recording all of our shows all over the country and, you know, jackets and armpits and whatever else uh, all throughout the country. And the Doobie Brothers and the cops show up at the soda shop um, to, to confront Al. But the problem is, is that they're a little late. And Raj is trying to stall Al Dunbar, who interrupts his uh, steak dinner with the shrimp cocktail and all the dessert to grab the tape recorder and try to head out the door as fast as he can before um, he gets caught. And Raj tries to stall him. And this is like one of the funniest parts of the episode, too. So Raj trying to stall Al Dunbar from Oh, yeah. It was really great. Yeah, yeah, I bet it was. Like, I'll listen to it later. Right now, I got to go, okay? Ah, but wait a minute. You don't know what you missed. But first they sang a song, you know? And then they sang another song, you know what I mean? Wait, don't leave till you hear this. That guy, a pat that comes from the school, stood up and said, hi, hi, hi. And did the hand. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, then the curtain opened up, you know, uh-huh. and then they sang Black Boy. Oh, Black Boy! Yeah, well, I just went as a tape. I like that. And then, wait a minute, then, then, then John came with a torch to hit the gong. The gong and right. boom! I don't want to hear no boom! A lot of smoke and a lot of coughing. <laughs> a lot of coughing, a lot of smoke around there. Oh. Then Mike said, take it into the street. All right, so you heard, you heard uh, Raj there uh, trying to stall Al to comic effect there, and uh, the Doobie Brothers. Uh, storm through all the doors with some cops and arrest Al and his uh, henchmen. And uh, they decide they're going to listen to the tape of uh, the recording and see what they got, you know, listen to the show. And this is the the uh, final denouement of the whole episode. And here you go. We'll take care of him now. It's your tape. Listen, listen to this thing. Okay. Yeah, I hear this is a real good band. Yeah. <laughs> Quieter, but I forgot the butter. You mean to tell me I'm going to jail for a long time and 
All I got to show for it is a tape of a fat kid eating popcorn. Wait a minute, there's no music on there. Fly me to the moon. <laughs> so of course we, yeah, we get another fat chip, right? Yeah. And you just hear him eating, so it's like, yeah, uh, yeah it, it's it's. Yeah, All right, it's, that's but it's funny. It's yeah. funny. Yeah. That's so, a, yeah. That's what we spent so much time on that episode. It's an amazing episode. So it, it is. Great. I mean, it's funny. Yeah. The music's great. It sets off the show in the best possible way. Um, my evaluation, this lastly, before I get into to that and we wrap things up here, I do want to just talk about, I don't have a clip, but I want to talk about the Disco Daddy episode where Rerun is in the dance contest, um, where the Disco Dance Contest, Disco obviously being a big part of the culture at that point, Rerun um, enters the contest and he, the, the plot of it is basically he doesn't have money to enter it. So Raj cooks up a scheme to get investors. So if you pay a dollar, you get a dollar, you, you would like to pay two to one, basically. Rerun being Rerun sells more of himself that he has uh, to offer. And they basically tell him that he has to throw the contest or these gangsters who also, um, you know, invested in him are going to beat him up. And he he does ignores that advice, tries to win against Disco Daddy, who's a professional dancer. Yeah, Dynamite his name or da- Disco yeah, Daddy but, Dynamite. Yeah. yeah, and that guy, that actor is also amazing. He is. Um, he does a great job. He does, and he you know he's a he's a charismatic guy, and it's, he's supposed to be kind of a goof, and he's kind of funny at it. And anyway, Rerun does not throw it, tries to win, and uh, does not win, and he kind of saves the day because he couldn't actually afford to pay. Yeah, he's got his... this Ponzi scheme kind of going, right? Yeah, you got the Ponzi yeah. scheme. I just want to pause and say, yeah, Rerun was a professional dancer and all that, but his dance moves, again, moving very well for a big dude. Um, he really has one move, and then he displays again and again and again and again throughout what's happening, which is that front kick thing where he throws his hands Yeah, in he does the front kick, and he'll do this thing where he plops on the ground, and he does the same kind of hand movements. Yeah. yeah it's it's a very similar. But I will say in this episode, he does do a few different things. Like, he goes up to someone and takes their hat off and kind of flips it around, and, you know, it's a, it's a little different. but It's a little different, but not yeah. exactly like, you know, he's ready for, you know, the ballet or anything like right. that. I, you know... I just he he's he moves really well. He was part of this professional dance troupe called the Lockers. You think he'd have some more moves besides just that front kick throwing his hands in the air? Yeah, yeah. But uh, okay, fine. He still moves pretty well, much better than I do, yeah. um, and ever have. All right. <laughs> so uh, look, here's my evaluation. I'm long on this show. I wouldn't say I'm hugely long. Certainly, hugely long on this episode of the Doobie Brothers and some of the classic episodes. I do think that there's something about this show. I I can't put my finger on it. It's all the things we are talking about that um, people are going to show their kids and their kids are going to find maybe somewhat amusing, um, somewhat charming. I don't think it's going to be a huge huge blockbuster 20, 30 years from now, but I think it's important role in some of the like, you know, race things that we are talking about. Certainly some of the cultural things will come back around in a way that maybe because it's kids talking to other kids, in a way that like Cosby show later on didn't really do, or even Fat Albert at the same time was a cartoon and wasn't quite there. And then anything involving Bill Cosby is just going to be tainted forever. Um, yeah, I know because Bill, yeah, I mean, that's a whole different thing. Like, you know, I'd say if it was like 15 years ago, we would be having a different conversation about him, but yeah, it's, I don't even want to 
to deal with him really it's so sad because he was such a part of this for me too you know um, well but yeah the, the other thing about cosby by the way is i saw an interview with ernest thomas saying that um when what's happening was at the height of its fame they were asked to uh, uh ernest thomas and and haywood nelson and, and fred berry were asked to guest star on some fl- uh, failing cosby uh tv show not that cosby uh, yeah. show an earlier right. one and they did so, and you know they were at the height of their fame. What's happening was a top-rated show or highly-rated show, and they said that Bill Cosby was just like a monumental dick to them. Oh, I'm and not they surprised. were so dis- yeah. disappointed because they were like these the young black actors, and they're yeah, just obviously- a, he was everybody's hero. Yeah, you know, he was their hero. He was he was the one who broke the color barrier in TV, really, um, and he was such a great comedian. Uh, that's but that doesn't surprise me because he turned out he was a, a a sociopathic monster. So you know it doesn't surprise me that he would be rude and and arrogant. Wouldn't even talk to them. Wouldn't even look at him. Like yeah. walk right by him, and they were trying to get his attention, and he basically just like gave him you know fist it, it to the face to get out of my yeah. way kind of right. thing. And so um, you know I, I do think what's happening is going to uh, slightly long there, and I I do think it'll be um, a positive thing for for hopefully many. Um, years to come when people see this in rerun. So there you go. That's our show, episode 12, What's Happening. Hope you liked it. Hope you liked the trip down memory lane if you haven't thought about this show or certainly enjoy the Doobie Brothers um, music as part of the show as we did or maybe we're exposed to the Doobies through the show as as Slip and I both were. So um, signing off for now. Yep. Jeff, there's Slip. Yep. See you later. See you later. Uh, Talk to you. Have a good one. We'll see you at episode 13.